So if you today would take your Bibles, please turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Today we look at verse 1 to 7 to study the birth of Christ as explained in these prophetic writings in the Old Testament. This particular passage that we're going to look at today was also used by Charles Wesley to write the famous hymn or the carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And that is the title of my message this morning, Hark the Herald Angels Sing from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 to 7. Originally, Wesley, he wrote the song with, with these words. He said, Hark how the welkin rings glory to the King of Kings. So welkin means sky or it means heavens. It's a very old English word. And Wesley's friend, uh, George Whitfield, he changed some of the words and most noticeably the first line, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. And what really elevated this Christmas carol was when the, the organist, William Cummings, he adapted Mendelssohn's music to fit the words, giving it a much more joyful tune that um, we all enjoy today and really describes the, the lofty character of the, the Messiah. So I will read for us Isaiah chapter 9. Please stand with me and then we will allow God to encourage our souls as He shows us His zeal for bringing glory to the Son born in Bethlehem. So we will read from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 to 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, and them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray together. Father, we pray for your help today. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to herald the glorious King as we contemplate the words of 
the prophet Isaiah. We pray you would encourage our souls. And Lord, that you would show us your zeal for bringing glory to your son. So we pray for your help today. We ask that you would open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts to the word today. That you would be glorified in our response, Lord Jesus. We pray receive the glory today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So if you've been a Christian for a long time, you know that God's ways are not always our ways. The Lord has a plan, and His will cannot be stopped. But, but there are certain times when, when we end up scratching our head and, and we wonder why things happen the way that they do. And for us, like Israel of old, God... His correcting hand of discipline can especially um, take away our courage and cause us to, to question His wisdom at times. But as I preached when God's hand was, was swinging down hard on the people of Israel, and the power of the Assyrian Empire increased as the year 700 BC approached, but Isaiah, he spoke to a people who were deaf and blind to the things of God. A people who would soon be crushed under judgment and national disaster. And this does not mean that everyone in Israel uniformly turned from um, God. We know the nation of Israel was, was punished for the sins of some. And corporately they all suffered alike. And that may not seem fair to us and since we... Think more in terms of individual accountability. But God governs through representatives, as we will we'll see today. So what do godly people do during times of national discipline and national disaster? How does God want us to behave when, when things are going badly, when things are going tough? And this is the background of Isaiah chapter 9. The people are in trouble. There's a, a world of, of hurt that will soon rain down on the Israelites. The Assyrians are coming closer. And we will see eventually they will conquer the Israelites and, and drive people from their, their homes like animals. They will face hunger. They will face misery, loneliness, and loss. And this will be their, their lot for the next hundreds of years. And in between that group, there are faithful believers. There are faithful believers who will die in exile. They will die away from their families. Families will be torn apart. And God's frowning providence will threaten them with, with despair. And how will the godly respond? And Isaiah preaches for them. He preaches for them to remain faithful when they look at the future, while they focus on the future to remain faithful. And today the message hasn't changed. Isaiah is preaching the same message to all of us. The Spirit of God is teaching us the same teaching. Each one of us here have different struggles that, that we face on a daily basis. All of us have different fears and different pressures, but God's power and His goodness 
universally directs every single life. And the promise of Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 applies to all of us today. Jeremiah says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for holiness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And in the days of Isaiah, God's people were to comfort themselves with the hope of a, of a perfect future. And we are to do the same, to look towards the future. And for them, the promise of, of Christ's birth was, was something very distant, was something that they didn't think was close by. And for us, for many of us, the second coming of Jesus may seem to be something that is very far away, very distant. But God's mercy remains sure. God's mercy remains steadfast. And just as sustainable as it held up Israel of old. I hope that comes from the Messiah, the one the herald angels sang about. Jesus promised in Isaiah chapter 9. And he was born in Bethlehem 700 years later after Isaiah prophesied this. But let's look at God's word to Israel as dark days approach them and see how he calls us to a, to a steadfast hope regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the trials that we face. To do so, please notice first in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, the that we are to hold on to hope because of the promise of a glorious light. The promise of a glorious light. Look at verse 1 and 2 in your Bibles with me. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zeb Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later times he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of Dark, a deep darkness on them has light shone. So these opening words refer to the trouble that was happening in Israel, even as Isaiah preached. Um, look at the words gloom that are mentioned there. The words anguish and the contempt for, for the land and for the nation. And for many years, the people knew only about grief because of these these enemies, the onslaught of these enemies that were unleashed by the Almighty as a result of their, their sins, corporately. And because these tribes were the furthest north, they were the ones who were attacked first. And this would be a time of terrible national darkness, spiritual as well as physical for the Israelites. And Christian writers often call seasons of of struggle, they call seasons of, of despair and anxiety a dark night of the soul, a dark night of the soul. And dark years of the soul will, were falling upon the, the chosen people of Israel during this time. And Isaiah tells of a, a time in the future where, where gloom would be replaced with gladness in Galilee. And Isaiah says, but, and he insists, but it will not always be so. In fact, light will dawn in the very place where this gloom was, was first 
and greatest. And the land's darkened by ignorance of the Word of God and problems in, in every way will be especially the place where the Messiah Himself will come and minister. And this prophecy was fulfilled with our Lord Jesus and He appeared as a prophet and we know that He began to preach and teach in the land of, of Galilee, this very place that experienced this, this doom. And while the angels were proclaiming peace on earth, Herod was preparing to annihilate infants. While Mary was worshipping, we know that there were other mothers who were, who were weeping for their, their children, the children who were killed by Herod. And don't miss this about Christmas. Now, Christmas was and Christmas is birthed in the middle of great grief. Christmas is birthed in the middle of great grief. Jesus comes to his people first where they are suffering the most. And from there began the salvation of the world. And for us, friends, Christmas is, is joyful and it's best understood when all this this junk of our, our life around us turns into gladness. When our grieving turns into gladness. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 describes how the birth of Christ will bring brightness to a world of darkness. Look there in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. On them has light shone. Turn with me quickly to Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, when we come to the New Testament, it's clear that Matthew had this prophecy of Isaiah in mind when, when he wrote these words. Isaiah chapter 4, verse 12. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. <coughs> Excuse me. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. That is a direct cross-reference to the prophecy of Isaiah that we just read about in chapter 9. And in a way similar to Israel, even today, we experience darkness, we experience trouble. We have times when, when the Word of God is not obeyed, when the Word of God is not loved. There are times where the people of God are, are groping in, in darkness and when that happens, we remember that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all, as we read in the Scriptures in 1 John chapter 1. And just as Christ brought the, the light of the gospel to Israel, so He will return to establish His kingdom of light. It's Revelation chapter 21 and 
Revelation chapter 22 remind us. The city of God has, has no sun. It doesn't have any, any moon. And the reason for that is because the glory of God gives the light. And it is the lamp of the Lamb of God that lights our way. You may have dark nights of the soul, as these theologians describe it. We may, as a, as a church, have seasons of, of difficulty and seasons of, of darkness. And just as the Roman and the Assyrian empires and the Ming dynasty in China, they once ruled with, with unprecedented power, but, but now these powers are all gone, we may see an end of modern-day superpowers as we know them in the world today. We may experience an unprecedented darkness in the land. Remember, Europe once cradled Christianity, but now most churches sit empty or have been sold and turned into car washes. But even when things are, are darkest, God's people are not forsaken. And that's why we need to look at these Old Testament prophecies to remind us of these truths. We hold to hope because we know that He who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Christ is the light of the world and the source of hope in times of darkness. And secondly, we see in verse 3, we hold to hope because of the promise of a glorious increase and glorious joy. We see in verse 3. Look at verse 3, Isaiah 9. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy, and they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. When they divide the spoil. Because the people of God know the true and living God, and because they know that God's word and ways are, are more desirable than, than gold and sweeter than the, the honeycomb and the drippings of the honeycomb, and because we know that in His presence is, is fullness of, of joy and in His right hand are pleasures forevermore, we want to see His rule. We want to see His kingdom grow. We want to see His righteousness increase. Everyone is an evangelist for what they, they truly love, isn't it? I mean, if you love Argentina, you're going to talk about Argentina, aren't you? If you love Brazil and you want Brazil to win, you're going to wear a Brazilian shirt, isn't it? We are all evangelists for what we truly love. We wear the jerseys of our favorite teams. We talk about the movies that we like. We share experiences that we, we want others to share. And so naturally, God's people long to see God's kingdom come. We long to see His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we rejoice exceedingly with, with great joy when we see people turn to faith. When we hear their testimonies, when we observe their, their baptisms, we rejoice with them. We rejoice when we see nations turn to Christ. Just as this was true for Israel, so it is true for us 
today, in the time of the gospel, those who receive the gospel certainly rejoice. Psalm 95 verse 1 says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Habakkuk 3.18 says, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. But there is more. There is more here. Those who are truly converted rejoice when others come to faith. Remember the great celebration at the, the victory party in heaven. In Revelation chapter 7. Turn there with me quickly if you would. It's important that you look at these, these words in Revelation Remember, this great celebration is going on there in heaven. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Imagine that party there, folks. Now, just this week, we, we went into the city and we had some dinner with some friends. And there in this road in the city, this one restaurant that was Moroccan in flavor had sealed off the road and put on these, these great big screens and there was a, a massive party going on and we realized later on that Morocco had, had won one of their games and um, there was great celebration. People were, were hooting and, and honking and people were shouting out their windows and, and waving their, their, the Moroccan flag and there was wonderful celebration. It was great to be there. I couldn't stop and think, wow, if this is just something that is enjoyable, can you imagine what heaven's going to be like one day when we are celebrating our Savior, celebrating, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. Victory is His, folks. Never mind a, a football World Cup. Victory belongs to the Lamb who sits on the throne. Yes, there may be a night of weeping, and there will be, but the certainty of this triumph and the increase of God's kingdom sustains us with, with joy during these difficult times. And we hold to hope because of the promise of a glorious freedom and peace. My third point we see in verse Four and five, this promise of a glorious freedom and peace. Look at verse four, Isaiah chapter nine. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Israel was way down here, folks. Just like a, a plow horse or a, or a team of, of oxen that have these, these, these burdens across their necks to keep them in control and keep them down. Israel was, 
was weighed down by this, this yoke of burden. And of course, this was not a literal yoke, but a more grievous burden. This was the oppression of the Assyrian army who, who beats the people with, with rods and staff. As a work animal is struck in order to, to keep this animal, this beast of burden, moving. But as terrible as the Assyrians were, However, the greatest load and grief came from the burden of, of sin. It came from the burden of corruption, and the departure from God and the evil consequences of, of that rebellion. But God tells us through Isaiah, through his prophet, of the one who will break this rod, of the one who will break this staff, of the one who will break this burden. And burn the, the boots of these invading armies. When the light of life comes, the heavy yoke will be shattered. And instead of wiping us out, Jesus says in Matthew 11 verse 30, My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Instead of destroying us and starting all over again, which He could do, which He has done already in the past, he reminds us that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Endure, he says. I have a plan. And in the place of burdens, God wants to give us blessings. In the place of burdens, he wants to give us blessings. I talked to a friend recently who told me that, that her shoulders are heavy because of all the, the burdens that she is carrying. And I smiled and I reminded her that Jesus came to bear our burdens and He's holding the entire world right now on His shoulders. Fourth and my last point, we see in verse 6 and 7, we hope, we hold to this hope because of the promise of a once and a future Redeemer. Because of the promise of a once and a future Redeemer. Go back to Isaiah chapter 9. Look at verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God's answer to all that scares us, God's answer to all that, that frightens us, is what? Is a child. Is a child. A son is given, a child is born. And the ancient of days becomes an, an infant. The ancient of days is born in the flesh. The everlasting father becomes a baby boy. Unto you is born, it says, this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A newborn is our hope, especially in times of, of greatest grief and fear. It's not what I expect to resist the Assyrians of the world. 
when I know that a, that a bully is, is threatening, I, I picture a bigger person, I picture a bigger warrior on my side. When, when Goliath is, is bellowing, I, I want an I want a, I want a N, I want a F-16, I want some military equipment. What does God give us? He gives us Jesus. He gives us a baby boy. And God's weakness will win over the world's strength. And God's foolishness will triumph over the world's wisdom. Everything man tries will fail. However impossible, the gospel must be true. God has made foolish the wisdom of the world by saving those who believe through the folly of what we preach. Christ crucified the power and the wisdom of God. And to us, a child is born, a son is given. Well, who is he? Who is he? Well, notice there in this passage, and, and be warned, this might, this might stir up worship, okay? This might stir up worship, I'm warning you. Look there, who is he? He is the wonderful counselor, the one with the best and the brightest ideas for living faithfully in a fallen world. He knows what needs to be done to repair broken relationships. He knows what needs to be done to, to build his church. He knows what needs to be done to provide peace in our homes. <coughs> he knows the words which will heal the brokenhearted. He knows how to help the hurting. He knows how to restore the, the penitent. He is our bread of life for all who hunger for righteousness and for the living water for all who thirst for God. He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. Look there again in our passage. He is also mighty God. He is also mighty God, the one who defeats all of His enemies and our enemies. He is the shield that we can hide behind. He is the, the strong man who can bind all of our foes, the one powerful enough to save to the uttermost, those who draw near to God and through His name and His authority. <clears throat> Look there in our passage. He is the everlasting Father. He is the everlasting Father. Or the Father of eternity. It's another way to say it. The author of everlasting life. The author of happiness to all who come to God through Him. He is the Father of the world to come because all things are made subject to him and he rules all things not like the Assyrians he rules all things with love and mercy and kindness notice there he's also the prince of peace he is also the prince of peace as this omnipotent ruler he both creates he preserves and He gives peace in His kingdom. When we were His enemies, He was the one who made peace between us and His Father by His death on the cross. So that now He is our peace. He also, by working of His Spirit, keeps this peace by 
working in our, in our hearts and in our lives. And he wants God's people to rule, to, to rule. He wants God, God's will to rule through his people and bring us to delight in all that is good and godly. And in the future kingdom, there will only be peace because all that makes for sin and suffering and Satan and all that is broken, he will forever banish from his glorious presence. And there never was and there never will be a kingdom ruled by a government so, so gentle and gracious. Rather than control us by these harsh demands and a strong arm, he sweetly influences our hearts by his grace. Not against our wills, but showing us the goodness of his ways and the pleading with us to love his ways. To love His will, not our will that is corrupt. He rules by love so that there is peace on earth wherever His government reigns supreme. And the more we are subject to Christ, the more easy and enjoyable our lives are, the more of this peace will reign in us and through us. <clears throat> and those who live by faith in Him now accepting his weakness as our strength and his folly as our wisdom, will enjoy his triumph. There will come one moment when we will say, this, this is the limit. And you can't think of anything new or better, and we've seen it all. And C.S. Lewis, he, he says, he correctly describes this new world which Christ brings with him in his return. He, he says... This new world, it grows bigger and more glorious the further in and further up we go. Cast your eyes upon Jesus, folks. Look full into his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious grace. You know that such glory, with such glory, there will always be opposition, isn't it? And Satan hates God and certainly hates the thought of, of us having peace and a delightful life and, a, and a, a wonderful future. He doesn't want that for us. He fights against the very reign and the rule of righteousness. But like the wrath of, of Herod striking the children of, of Bethlehem, the evil of the enemy may lash out and even hurt us, but he cannot it cannot beat us. It cannot win. And something was set in motion on Christmas Day those many years ago. And the zeal of God will see it through to the end of all things. The glory of God in the happiness of His people. The glory of God in the happiness of His people. And how many of you have heard the, the name Jordan Smith? Anybody? Well, in 2015, he gained national recognition when he won season nine of the singing competition, The Voice. And his first song that he sang was a, was a short while after there were terrorist attacks in California. And he chose to sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And after being chosen, even though his coach, Adam Levine, wanted him to 
sing a different song, Jordan persisted with his choice, and he sang, Mary, did you know? And apparently Adam Levine had never heard of the song before, and it was quite a moment on national television when Jordan sang about Jesus. And, and here are the words to the song. The words say, Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? And Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? And did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? And then he belted out his last lyric. The sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Jordan Smith, he is a 22-year-old. He was a 22-year-old born-again Christian who leads worship in his church. And I love that he chose these Christ-centered songs for this competition. And Gwen Stefani, one of the, the other coaches, she made the statement after he won the competition on that Tuesday night. And she said, all I can think of is God when he sings. All I can think of is God when he sings. What do people think of you, folks? Not just when you sing, but when you're in the workplace, when there's difficult situations. Do they see this hope that we have because of our Savior, Jesus Christ? Do they see you heralding the songs the angels sang? Do you realize that God is exceedingly jealous for you, folks? Do you realize this? That He loves you beyond what you can even fathom or think. And he has arranged all the details of this intricate plan to deliver you from this bondage of sin. And he is offering you comfort. And he is offering you peace this Christmas. Have you experienced these expressions of Emmanuel that we've just looked at? Do you know him personally? The most important part of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, are the first three words there. It says, for to us. For to us. We actually see them repeated. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the gift of Christmas is a, is a personal gift from God to us. And a gift requires a response though, folks. If I put a gift under your tree, you may acknowledge it. You may, be, you may be happy that it's there. You may admire even the, the wrapping paper. You may even thank me for it. But it isn't yours until you open it, isn't it, folks? You haven't appropriated until you open that gift. Jesus has given us a gift, His Son. And He is calling you by name. Will you call out to the only name given under heaven, by which you can be saved. Do you know Him? This Christmas, let God's perfect promise renew your hope this season of our worship of our Savior's birth. Pray with me. Lord, thank You for sending Jesus into this broken world. Thank You, Lord, while we were yet sinners, while we were still in our gloom, in our despair, 
You came to die for us. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us and sending your Savior. I pray you help us to respond in a way, Lord, that is worthy of your, of your character this Christmas season. Lord, may we be ambassadors of Christ to those that we meet this Christmas. May we share the wonderful news of the triumph of our Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, as we take communion soon, Lord, examine our hearts, please. Help us to see if there's any wicked way in us, Lord, that we may turn from it and that we may worship you the way we should, that we may give you the glory that you deserve, Father. We pray for this today, for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen.